Welcome to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, the podcast for high achievers who want to stay sharp, focused, and full of energy despite their diagnosis. With your host, National Board Certified Functional Medicine Health Coach, Julie Michelson, where Julie helps you take your power back from autoimmunity. And now here's your host, Julie Michelson. Welcome back to the Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast. I'm your host, Julie Michelson. And today we're joined by Dr. Emily Kyberg, chiropractor, mama of two, and creator of Thyroid Strong, which is a workout program designed specifically for women with Hashimoto's. We're talking about why your workout approach might be all wrong, whether it's gentle or intense, and how it's essential to feed our muscles using resistance training in order to support healing and get the results we desire without the overload. Better results with less output. Dr. Kybird, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. I am so excited to dig into this topic because from personal experience, as well as clinical experience, I know how important it is. And we were talking before I hit record as to, you know, that this is, it's such an important topic, yet so few are talking about it. And you have this amazing perspective and lens, but I'd love to start with story because I'm guessing that you, you know, weren't dreaming of creating thyroid strong when you were a little girl. So how did you get to be doing this? Yeah. So I've been a chiropractor for 14 years since 2007. And you know, had a baby in 2015 and I had all these symptoms that you would kind of put under this umbrella of you're a new mom symptoms, extreme fatigue, losing my hair, outer third of my eyebrow, couldn't lose the baby weight, couldn't finish my sentence, right? That brain fog. And I just thought, okay, this is my new norm. Like my mom friends, my patients, my colleagues are like, you're a new mom. Of course you're tired and you can't (laughs) finish your sentence. Your baby's probably not sleeping and you're getting up a bunch of times a night. 18 months postpartum, same symptoms. And I was like, this cannot be how I live my life. This is like, you know, I run a clinic in New York City. I run a team, my new baby, I can't be present with. Like, I didn't feel like I could could connect. And so I started to kind of, you know, walk down that path that a lot of us walk down conventional, you know, primary care, endocrinologist, two functional medicine docs. And wasn't ever really given a clear diagnosis. And one of my girlfriends said, hey, why don't you go meet my friend, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon? And so I met Gabrielle. She took a bunch of blood work. She's a functional medicine doc. And she's like, you have an autoimmune condition. You have elevated thyroid antibodies. Has no one tested that or told you this? I was like, no. And I had brought her past lab work. And she's like, oh, everyone's only tested TSH. (sighs) And my TSH was, it was like, okay, it was like 2.8 to three. It wasn't, you know, off the charts, but it was elevated. And I had all the symptoms, right? The, you know, the two biggest struggles for women with Hashimoto's, which is what I was diagnosed with was difficulty losing weight and that extreme fatigue, like fatigue worse than first trimester pregnancy fatigue. And so we just started to take those steps to clean up how I was eating you know, some environmental factors, mold, parasites, heavy metals, some adrenal insufficiency, you know, burning the candle at both ends. And 
the last, you know, about nine months later, I started to feel better, like started to feel better. And I know a lot of women would think that's a long time, (laughs) but for me, I thought I will do whatever it takes. Just give me a game plan. I'll execute. So you tell me no gluten, no gluten, no dairy, a low histamine approach to eating. And so, you know, the one piece that I kind of waited to clean up was the exercise piece. I was trying to really lose the baby weight with a lot of cardio. So I'd go to a spin class or I do two spin classes back to back. I do like a spin class and then I'd walk across the street and do a hit class. And so I was like, the weight wasn't coming off. And I was also extremely like, you know, tired for days after one workout Inflamed, yes, and inflamed. Yes. <laughs> like I just felt like boggy all over. Yeah. I know that's not an official medical term. And so I had a trainer working in my clinic. He's amazing. He was a trainer for 22 years, Matt Semrick, still a trainer. And he's like, you know, what? you sound like you are expending so much energy and why don't we just make it really, really simple? And we, he put me on a kettlebell resistance training program, three days a week, 20 minutes. And my joints didn't hurt. My muscles didn't ache. I felt better. And the weight started to come off. And I was like, he's like, let's do this smarter. Like what you're doing sounds exhausting. (laughs) And, you know, I have a background in kettlebell training And, you know, a lot of people ask, well, why didn't you tap into that? And (laughs) I think, you know, that cultural narrative of like, do cardio lose weight has just been so ingrained. I used to do triathlons and marathons and half marathons, and I kind of just defaulted to that. So I started to do that, felt way better, lost more weight by doing less. And I was co-treating patients with functional medicine doctors. So they were in New York City looking, you know, at the body from the inside And they were sending those patients to me to build their muscle mass, get them strong and address the joint pain and muscle aches. And that was really the birth of thyroid strong was working with those women, playing with what worked on me and finding, okay, what am I repeating over and over again? That just more women need to hear and can learn in a very simple way. Amazing. I love that. And, and we do, we go to our default, right? If you were a runner and a triathlete, that's, that's what you're going to go to. It's like, you know, we may know, you know, calories in calories out, isn't really the thing, but that that's still, you know, we've have certain defaults. And again, I love that then you were like, wow, there's a need for this. Like, it's not just you. We can yeah. spend an hour just talking about commiserating about because I'm sure most listeners with thyroid issues had that similar experience of, you know, TSH, 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 yeah. and you know, just really glad that you finally got your answers. And and if you're listening and and you're like, oh, I tick those boxes, but I've been told for years my thyroid's fine. Like, make sure you're getting a full thyroid panel including, you know, all the antibodies, free T3, all all the goodies, um, all the things. I mean, I think the especially important piece to that story is my Hashimoto's went into remission. Luckily, because it was caught early before there was too much destruction in my thyroid gland. Was I on thyroid medication for a little bit for maybe three to six months? Yes. But, you know, probably 18 months after starting the, you know, from getting diagnosed protocol. to starting the work and starting the protocols, 
remission. So don't have symptoms, you know, blood work is optimal and, you know, no presence of thyroid antibodies. And even through a second pregnancy, I stayed in remission, which I know for a lot of us, like pregnancy is a stressor on the body and we can get a flare up of our Hashimoto symptoms. But even through a second pregnancy, I stayed in remission. So I feel really grateful to listen to my gut, like walk the path, keep, I mean, even two functional medicine doctors before. Right. That's unheard. Like, I I don't I don't know that I've ever met a functional medicine doctor who doesn't do complete thyroid panels. So that's unbelievable. But that's also... It doesn't matter, you know, what the shingle says. There are great thorough doctors in all walks and and some that aren't digging down as far as they need to. So yeah. 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 But you you continue to advocate for yourself and you didn't give up. Most people would be like, Well, you saw all these doctors already. So why would you go see another one? And so good for you. And and that's an important message too for everybody is to just keep looking. Yeah. To really be your own advocate. I like love no that. one's going to take care of you except you. And no one has to live in your body except you. So if you don't feel yeah. good, <laughs> keep hunting. Yeah. And, and the other pet peeve is, and we all, most of us have gone through it. At least those of us that have kids that, you know, that whole, Oh, you're a new mom. Like I wish no doctor would ever say that to anybody ever again. We know the difference between I'm tired and I'm fatigued to the center of my bones. It's completely different. And if, if you've experienced it, you can tell the difference (laughs) right away. Yeah. Yeah. So let's dig into, I think everybody listening could be like, okay, you know, you've got thyroid issues. You've got Hashimoto's clearly that over-exercising that you were doing, you know, not the best approach. We, we yeah. can all relate to that. And I see it all the time. And, and I did it as well as my health started to decline. For me, it was more of a, like, I'm not giving up this thing. Like my RA had taken so much and I wasn't going to take the physical activity that I love. So I pushed and I pushed, but I want to get into <clears throat> most, I, I think most of us experience the opposite, right? We're not overdoing cardio where being, or maybe we were, and then we go 180 and it's gentle and slow. And we're told gentle stretching, do some yoga and, and full disclaimer, I love yoga. Like nobody's saying don't ever do yoga, but I want to talk about the resistance training. (laughs) Yeah. You love yoga too. See, nobody's, nobody's hating on yoga. Yoga's great. Pilates is great. Like if you find these things that you, that you enjoy and you love, I'm guessing you're not going to say totally give them up, but we want to get into why that's not what you need. uh, And this idea of feeding muscle and resistance training. So let, let's dig into to some of that. Yeah. I mean, I'll just put it out there. I'm a yoga instructor. I taught okay. yoga, Yikes. you know, for 14 years <laughs> in New York city in the corporate setting in yoga studios. Love so it. I too love yoga. Okay. You know, travel the world with yoga retreats, probably got some parasites on those. But so if you frame the autoimmune condition around muscle tissue, muscle okay. tissue being the largest endocrine organ in the body, what does that mean? It means that when you contract muscle, newer research out shows that you secrete proteins, myokines, cytokines, 
And those things that you secrete can reduce inflammation, can affect your hormone profile, can affect your metabolism. So it's kind of cool to think I can directly affect like the uptake of glucose into the muscle. I can directly affect the inflammatory load in the body by contracting my muscle. So while yoga, Pilates, low impact exercise, stretching is nice in theory with like not overdoing, you know, it for, from an adrenal perspective, right. You're not going to feed the muscle tissue in the way that you need, which is under load. And so to get that stimulus, you need to pick up a heavy weight with amazing form and put it down and do it again. You need to hit this fatigue of if it was on a scale of zero to 10, you need to kind of hit an eight. So by the last rep, you're thinking like if 10 is like, no way I can pick up this weight. An eight is maybe I have two more reps in the tank. So you have to hit that exertional point to get that muscle stimulation. You could probably do Twenty chaturangas. I was there. <laughs> totally what I was just thinking. She's going to say chaturanga. I know it. <laughs> or you could do, you know, five floor presses with, or you know, like you could get that in a different way. And in terms of having an autoimmune condition, specifically a condition that has an underactive thyroid component, like Hashimoto's, where there's slower tendon turnover, I would rather choose something that has a lower rep. Whereas if I did 20 chaturangas, I might predispose myself to a tendon injury or an overuse injury because with, with that hypothyroid component, you know, all our tissue is regenerating and replenishing throughout the day. When we have an underactive thyroid, you know, every metabolic process in the body, including our muscle tissue and our tendons needs thyroid hormone. When we have a low thyroid you know, low functioning thyroid, it just takes longer for that regeneration to happen. So, you know, a lot of women will complain like, oh, my shoulders, like my bicep, you know, they won't say bicep tendon, but they'll point to the front of the shoulder (laughs) or the knees, right? That infra patellar tendon, right? Where the kneecap goes down to the leg. They'll be like, oh, I don't want to get on the floor because I'm afraid I won't be able to get back up because my knees ache. Well, that's that tendon aching. So, it's important to create that strength and stability, feed the muscle so that those tendons can be strong. I love that. And I, I love, I'm a visual learner. And so I'm like listening and I'm like, what? I, I, just the way you said that makes so much sense. And I've never heard anybody just put it out there simply for us. With, of course, if you think of all these processes are slower with suppressed thyroid, you know, with Hashi's, with even if it's not autoimmune, yeah. and those with autoimmune, obviously, we've got ex- we're extra special. But that just that visual of like, oh my gosh, of course, your tissue is going to regenerate slower, and and you know, I no, I don't want to do twenty shots and why should we? You know, there's this fine line again between, yes, we need to stress the muscle to, to strength, but we don't need to stress the body to strengthen. And yeah. I, I love that differentiation. 
Yeah. I mean, it's even specifically the tendons, the tendons get stronger under load. There's no amount of stretching, massaging, rubbing, stimulating in that sense. That's passive that can strengthen a tendon. The only way a tendon strengthens is when you put it on load. And I think, you know, another interesting kind of injury that women experience with Hashimoto's and often picked up in perimenopause menopause is frozen shoulder syndrome, where your arms kind of glued to your side and you can't wash your hair, or comb your hair, or even put your arm into a jacket. And there is, I think there's two research articles on it where they took people with known hypothyroidism and checked like, what is the prevalence of frozen shoulder syndrome? And, you know, so there's a correlation, same thing, like low thyroid, the tissue is kind of like getting contracted. And now, you know, you can't put your arm in, in your, in your jacket. So, you know, that's another thing that comes up often menopause female. So, you know, anytime I, a patient comes to me and they have frozen shoulder, I'm like, Oh, did you get a thyroid panel, full thyroid panel? And usually it's no. And then usually I (laughs) ask them to go ask their doctor for one because the rehab is so long and brutal. Like you could do, you know, one to two years of rehab going three times a week Wow. and then it might get better. And then a lot of women will experience that on the other the side. The other shoulder. Yeah. Like, Why my is mom, it the other my side? My mom went through that. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if you got that thyroid component addressed, like if there was something that needed to be managed with medication, whatever, the healing would probably be faster. You know, sometimes women will go, they'll do manipulation under anesthesia where they put you under and then they basically yeah. like tear the tissue. And so, Ow. yeah, like- if anyone could so, never have to so go through that. We're talking about prevention here, right? Yeah. Like, yes, there's obviously, if somebody already is experiencing it, like you said, you're, I love that you're sending them like, get a full thyroid panel, but this is preventative. Like we can all be strengthening and doing these things. And, and that's, I love that you gave that example. Cause that is the one I think that most people would think like, well, they, they weren't stretching enough. So it got stuck, you know? Yeah. There's a lot of like cultural blame, shame, like, Whoa, what did I do? Like, yeah, well, maybe nothing, you know? Wow. That is uh, amazing. So when you, so you're, are you, when you are working with people and they're coming to you with their stretching and or yoga routine, or maybe they're just walking because I, that's where we tell people to start, you know, is, is move, right. Just start moving. What, what does that look like? Are you, I know you said for you, it was 20 minutes a day, three days a week, but where do you have people start? Yeah. I mean, I start them. I do a movement assessment. I'm always looking at what is not moving enough, which I think listeners can understand. And then on the flip side, you also look at, okay, what is moving too much? Like too much movement is also not a good thing. And so, and I don't mean movement is in like, you're not doing enough in your day. I mean, movement is like from a joint perspective, is there too much range of motion? So we start there. Usually we take a history of like, okay, where, where are they starting in their exercise journey? Like, are they mainly just doing yoga or Pilates or stretching or walking, which, you know, walking is great from a cardiovascular perspective. And then we get them pretty quickly on a resistance training program 
doing functional movements. We call them the essential seven. So it's a, a hinge, like a deadlift, a squat, a push, a pull, a carry, like you're carrying groceries, and then an anti-rotate. And you know, part of the assessment is looking, I check a Baton score on everyone, and a Baton score is a physical therapy orthopedic test, looking at nine points in the body to see if there's signs of hypermobility. And why am I doing this? Because from a clinical aspect, looking at the autoimmune population from a movement and strength perspective, I have noticed clinically that a lot of the autoimmune population has this element of tissue laxity, joint hypermobility, almost like the joints are kind of like loosey goosey. And where it comes up and is really easy to see is in the knees, hyperextending, like the knees traveling back behind the ankles, the elbows. So for example, we go back to yoga. If you're always that person in yoga class in down dog or at the top of a plank and the instructor kind of comes over, is like, put a little bend in your elbows, yeah. you know, and you're like, oh, I thought my elbows were straight, but they're actually hyperextending. You can touch the, your thumb to the soft part of your forearm. And then if you could bend your pinky back beyond 90. And then the last point to check is if you had your feet together, knees straight, and you just bent forward, knees straight, you could palm the floor. Which I know every yogi is probably. Wait a like, minute. Are yeah, we supposed that's to the goal. Isn't that the goal? Yeah, that's actually not normal. So oh my gosh, you much. just totally made my day. <laughs> I just broke every yogi's heart right there. Awesome. <laughs> so those are those nine points for a Baton score. And I notice a lot of women with an autoimmune condition have that element of like the knees are hyperextending, the elbows hyperextending, they can palm the floor, no big deal. And so they don't need things that create mobility. They need things that create strength and stability and joint integration. So we go to those functional moves that you would do in life, like a hinge, like carrying your groceries, you know, being able to push something, being able to pull something really basic moves. You know, I think people, especially with this day and age of social media, it's like, okay, the sexy moves, it's like, you don't need the sexy move. Like the real life. Yeah. The people who our experts in in lifting, they do the basics consistently. That's the only difference is they do the basics consistently. And so I work, you know, if the, if the, if the person I'm working with is more sedentary, it's working up to three days a week, 20 minutes, you know, you sometimes it's only, you know, starting out like two days, 15 minutes, you know, whatever someone can do and meeting them where they're at. Usually I have them get a weight that they could press or push. So that might be eight kilo, 10 kilo. And then I usually start, you know, especially in a deadlift to 12 kilo bells, which is 50 pounds, which I know some listeners are like 50 pounds, but you need enough resistance to turn on the muscles. If it's too light, you're just going to be, you know, standing up, overextending your hips. You're not going to get any proprioceptive feedback to like give you feedback of where you are in time and space. So you need enough load to get things to turn on. And that's usually, you know, I start with 50 pounds. So yeah, that's way more than a soup can. <laughs> yeah, that's way that more than a soup like- can. You know, I think there is a certain population of autoimmune sure. women who like they can't get out that's of bed. Their start. Right. Of course. Yeah. And that and that could be their starting point. But I think or body weight, you know, even just yeah. Right. right. But we're that's not. But what if you did? So I'll, I'll counter that with like, what if you did instead of body weight? Cause actually like, for example, body weight squat is actually much harder than if you just did it with a little load to offset. Gotcha. Sure. Yeah. What if you just did like one rep and then you parked it 
and you took a walk, like you took like a two minute like break and then you did two reps. And I know that's not, you know, for like professional lifters, that wouldn't be enough stimulus, but for the woman who's very sedentary and deconditioned, that might be the starting place. So, and you answered that was going to be my next question (laughs) because again, I'm going through like, okay, well, what's in my data bank of, you know, 50 plus years on the planet. And, you know, if you can only do a couple of reps, it's too heavy. And you're saying not necessarily, that's not. Yeah. Cause two reps will very soon, you know, it gives you a, the stimulus and the muscle memory, we'll just simply call it muscle memory so that the next time you do it, it won't feel so foreign. You'll come back to it and you'll be like, okay, yeah. Like this is the setup. This is where I breathe. This is how I sit my hips back. This is how I pick it up. So maybe you come back the next time and it's like two reps, take a minute break, three reps, take a two minute break. You know, I think that the other key here is, you know, oftentimes fitness, especially with the high intensity interval training, there's not a lot of rest. And when you look at people who are lifting heavier professional lifters, they do low reps, they do heavier weight, and then they take a three to five minute rest break. If you go to a fitness class, there's no rest break until the the end of the 50 minutes. So I think it really, we have to, part of it is like changing the mindset of what our workout is quote unquote supposed to look like. You know, I think when I was younger, it was a good workout quote unquote is there's a puddle of sweat, (laughs) red in the face, I'm (laughs) huffing and puffing. And that's my good workout. And I think expecting that six days a week, three days a week is unrealistic. And now my workout is more to get me strong to energize me. It's not to break me down. I love that. And I can see, you know, when we're addressing any kind of exercise with especially Hashimoto's, but any autoimmune, because much like in your story, there's, there's typically some sort of an adrenal load issue going on and, it just makes total sense. Like, it's just so logical now that you said it of like, oh, but the rest break in between. We'll give you like, time to recover. We need that reset. Yeah. We need that recovery. And it doesn't have to be, you know, well, we're recovering for the next three days because we were yeah. red in the face with a puddle of sweat and our body, you know, it was just too much. So you mentioned, which of course makes also perfect, you know, form is so important. You're working with people and you're you're guiding them and you're, I'm guessing, correcting form as you go so that they can build that proper muscle memory. You know, how, first of all, do, are you working just with people in person? Like where, where would somebody start and, and know that they're doing it right? Help us out. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people I work with now are online and I think from working with people so much in person, getting really good at cueing and getting people set up in the right, quote unquote, right position is really important. And, you know, you can say, you know, if you go back to like this yoga example, like you can tell someone like trying to get them into down dog. Okay. So like sit your hips towards the sky, lift your butt towards the sky. You know, like there's so many ways to say it and like what's going to click for someone you know, sure. what's going to click for the majority. So after working with a lot of women, I'm like, okay, I know if I tell my women, step your feet, like outer hip width, your toes, if there was a clock, 
are going to point to like one o'clock and 11 o'clock. You're going to put your hands right in like your bikini line hip crease and you're going to sit your hips back and you're going to fold your belly to your tops of your thighs. Like you're squishing your hands and that's your hinge. Like 95% of the time it gets someone into the right position. (laughs) Right. Versus, you know, I mean, you'll, you'll hear trainers be like, okay, so like, like they won't tell you where to exactly put your feet and they'll be like, okay, so like, just sit back. Well, and, and even the, outer, squatty, like, the specificity of outer hip width, because most of us, myself included, if I'm not consciously thinking about it, when, when it, from this is years of different classes, you know, if somebody says hip width, I'm never actually hip width. I'm always in, I'm, I'm we're all always tend to think our hips are like a little more narrow. narrower than yeah. they are. Um, maybe, and maybe it's just cause I've had three children. I don't know. <laughs> so what, but just that cueing like outer gets you to think like, okay, really where are my feet? And I love the use of one in 11. Mm. Cause that's where my feet go anyway. Yeah. So I like that. You know, and there's cues. So in, in, when you're picking up a weight, it's important to know how to build tension to like recruit your own strength and power. So for example, a lot of women, when they press a bell overhead or they're doing any push movements, they think mentally, this is an upper body movement. My upper body's weak. Well, when you press something overhead, it's actually, you're recruiting all the way from your feet up your legs, you're squeezing your butt, you're breathing into your belly and you're bracing, and then the bell goes up. So it's actually a full body movement. And there's cues you can give, for example, foot dialing, or which can be cued different ways, you know, like your feet are at that position, like outer hip yeah. width, 111, and you're squeezing your heels, but you don't move your feet. Right. Almost like you're screwing your feet into the floor. Like that will immediately, you'll feel your quads turn on, you'll feel your butt squeeze, you'll feel everything engage. And that is what is part of helping lift heavier. So like, all yeah, yeah, so all that power is in there. You just have to teach someone how to recruit that tension. So, you know, I'll start with women and they'll be like, oh, like 50 pound deadlift. Like they're scared, right? Like weights are scary. Kettle, kettle balls, (laughs) which people call them, but they're kettle bells are scary at first. (laughs) But if you teach someone really quickly how to build that tension, like 50 pounds goes up really easy, really fast. And they're like, okay, time for heavy weight, you know? So that's amazing. Yeah. So I think that's the beauty of using weights. And I think it's also, you know, it has carryover into a mental state. Not only is there like, well, yeah, yeah. we are, you know, especially everybody anyway. I mean, I have a daughter, you know, I, everybody needs to feel strong, but especially those that have been knocked down with autoimmune or Hashi's and, and there's, that's empowering. And that's why I do this is to help empower people. Why you do it, you know, it, it, that's the key to, to creating wellness. So yeah, um, amazing. Last question. I, I don't want to keep you over time, but I'm like, I have this whole list of questions. And so I want to make sure short of working with you, I, I guess I'm looking for like a what not to do. Cause I could see me listening to this conversation and like running out to my gym to sign up for a kettlebell class, right? Like, you know, what, what would be, I guess, some mistakes listeners might make feeling really motivated. Like, oh, I'm going to build muscle. I'm going to do it. Like what, what should they not run out and do? Yeah, I think 
when you're holding a weight, when you're under load, you probably shouldn't be under load, especially if you're first learning more than 20 seconds. So like I've gone to workout classes and they're like, we're going to do kettlebell swings for two minutes. Like I've never done, like I do 10, which is about 20 seconds. And then I park the bell and I break. So that like long in, you know, especially with more ballistic movements, like a kettlebell swing, like that's meant to be done in short doses, not for, you know, one to two minute periods of time. I think the other thing that's really common and was one of the things that I always have to retrain is when someone says like, engage your core, tighten your abs, like what does that actually mean? And as women, especially those who've gone to Pilates, they think, I'm going to pull my belly button into my spine. I'm going to suck in. I'm going to skinny my waist. And <laughs> you don't want to do that under load because that will actually, we, it will decompress the, uh, that intra-abdominal pressure and that natural core strength and well, could actually you know give you a disc herniation or back injury when you pick up a weight. So you want to learn how to breathe down and wide. And then on the exhale, you want to learn how to like keep that tension, that brace, like as if you had a little tank of strength in your core. And so, yeah, I think that's a, that's like one of the number one things I always have to retrain is like, when you pick up a weight, don't suck your belly in, which I get yeah. a lot of women that are like, wait, I'm not supposed to do that. So I think those would be the, the two biggest things. And I think the third thing is you know, we get power. So, you know, oftentimes we are told to exhale on the exertional part. So like if you did a bicep curl, it's right on the bending of the elbow. So especially with kettlebells, especially when you're teaching someone to recruit their own tension, if you have someone do an audible exhale, they will be able to access that brace. Sometimes you see people, they like inhale, and then they pull the weight and they're like, <laughs> like they're blowing through a like straw, a right? Yeah. yeah. Like it's just, there's no like power to it. And you really want to access your own power. So when I have people do it, it's inhale, exhale, you know, to like it. really that audible as aspect really helps you find your brace in your core. So I think one of the other, which, you know, some women in a workout class might be like, okay, I'm going to look like that person who's really breathing uh-huh. really loud. <laughs> yes. Be that person because it will make you stronger and it will help you protect your back. So you don't injure yourself. I love that. That's, that's amazing advice and, and things to look for. So how, how can, and I, I do think it's so important, um, you know, to, to have those ideas of this may not be the class for me, you know, if they're doing a, a, a five minute, you know, arms, whatever it is, yeah. like you just, just heed this advice because it is worth lots of gold. Tell me a little more about how listeners can work with you or tap into your knowledge and expertise. Yeah. So I have a program called thyroid strong. It's two versions, intermediate six weeks, for people who have picked up a weight before, but maybe haven't done it in a while. And then there's a 12 week program for people who've never picked up a weight for those people who are deconditioned or just more, you know, more sedentary. And so that's called thyroid strong. And it's super fun. Cause if you think about how many times have you done a group program or a challenge and people are getting results, like a lot of women come in doing like beach body and 
they're just like, I'm not getting the results like everyone else. It's like, okay, well, your body's a little different. You have an autoimmune condition. Like everyone in thyroid strong has Hashimoto's. And, you know, we experience similar things like squats and lunges really hard. Like they're just hard going back to that, that tendon aspect. Right. And so you have to modify and people have questions. And so it's nice that like everyone's on the same page and speaking the same language. It's just a really great community of women. And uh, yeah, that can be found at dremilykybird.com and it's Dr. Emily Kybird across all the social platforms, Which, including like, TikTok. Again. Oh, <laughs> check her out yeah. on TikTok. And Instagram, yeah. <laughs> I, that you, I love that you just answer all my questions before I ask them. Um, and all the links are, are going to be included in the show notes, but yeah. I do always ask because I like to listen on the go. And so now people know where to find you. What is one step that listeners can take today, starting today to start to improve their health? It could be anything. Anything. Oh. Anything. I know. I would prioritize protein intake, minimum 30 grams per meal to stimulate muscle protein synthesis, which is basically muscle tissue, grow your muscle tissue because how you eat can affect your muscle tissue. And that's a beautiful thing. So yeah, start start your day with protein. Try and hit 30 grams minimum. I love that. And that was one of the things I wanted to get into and, and talk about how do we, you know, feed ourselves to, yeah. to build muscle and and protein intake is so important. So I love that you went there and we could talk about that for 10 more minutes, but I promised I wouldn't keep you too long this morning. So I am so, so grateful for the just amazing knowledge and tips that you've shared with listeners. Really, really appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for having me. For everyone listening, remember you can get the show notes and transcripts by visiting inspiredliving.show. I hope you had a great time and enjoyed this episode as much as I did. I'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity. Did you enjoy this episode? please like, share, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to get a transcript of this and every other episode, just head on over to inspiredliving.show or click on the link in this episode's description. There, you can also find everything we discussed in this episode, including links and information about our guest. You can even send in your questions to be answered by Julie in a future episode. That's inspiredliving.show. Until next time, this is Julie Michelson's Inspired Living with Autoimmunity podcast, helping you take your power back.